Welcome back to the Medicine Garden. I'm David Freudberg. Some people swear by the natural curative properties of certain plants when brewed up into an herbal tea or extracted into a liquid tincture. But what better medicine is there than just sitting quietly among plants and flowers, drinking in their unabashed festival of color? There's a lot of, um, right now, yellows, pinks, orange, a bit of red, purples. In the spring, it tends to be a lot of blues and whites because I have a lot of the native woodland wildflowers, which there's a lot of blues and whites and a little bit of yellow. So the color combination really changes throughout the season. Heather McCargo in Carlisle, Massachusetts, is a plant lover both by profession and by hobby. In her own New England backyard, she cultivates fragrant herbs, edible flowers, and a peaceful environment. Probably the best part to me about working in my garden is I'm totally in the present. You know, most of us stressed out Americans, and even working as a professional horticulturalist, I get stressed out. You are spend a lot of time either worrying about something in the future that's about to happen or something you did or said in the past. And when I'm in my garden, I'm totally in the here and now. It's almost like meditating or doing yoga. You know, you're focused on the present and on the activity that I'm doing. And there's so much sensual experience, both of my body, you know, doing the physical work and, you know, rubbing up against the plants and the birds and butterflies that go by. That's a big part of the pleasure for me. You mentioned that gardening for you is restful. Does it become a kind of therapy? Oh, definitely. And one of the things that I love most in my garden, I have a lot of a lot of fragrant plants. Like if you rub your hand on this, this is spearmint, which you know smells wonderful, not to mention being able to make herb teas on it. And I have some scented geraniums over here, which are the rose-scented geraniums that also smell wonderful when you rub up against it. Also, the sound of the wind, especially on what was once the lawn and is now a field, the wind swaying the grass is really beautiful on a windy day and interesting to look at. Your garden is designed so there are four pathways, uh, each strewn with uh, chips of wood that uh, lead into the center and it sort of shapes it in quadrants. Yeah, and the reason I've done that is it's a traditional herb garden shape to have four quadrants. It goes back to Persia, I believe, where the, each quadrant represents, one represents the sun, air, water, and fire. The different elements. The different elements. And I have at the center of the garden a sundial. And again, that was just um, sort of an orma ornamental Thing, but also has, you know, it's traditionally done in an herb garden. And the one I have is just a reproduction from Williamsburg. And it will tell you roughly what time of day it is, if you even care to know when you're out in the garden. Calming though the garden is, Many of us in this technological age have grown apart from nature, from its graceful rhythms and restorative powers. We seem to have forgotten how nature disperses healing treasures in the leaves and flowers, the barks and roots of the herbal kingdom. Before the era of pharmaceutical drugs, our ancestors picked their medicines from the forests and the fields. In today's pre-packaged world, many of us would have little idea of where to begin with healing plants. 
So I invited Mark Blumenthal, who heads the American Botanical Council, to take me on a quick tour of the herbal section of a health store. We're opening this jar up, and let's see if you can smell anything. Sometimes people say this smells like dirty socks. This is valerian, the root of valerian plant. It's a very effective, gentle, safe, nighttime sleep aid, does not interact with alcohol, and does not cause uh, dependence like barbiturates. And so this is a safe, gentle, effective nighttime sleep aid approved in Germany, France, other countries for its benefits. But this is a non-addictive non sleep aid. Non-addictive sleep aid. It doesn't synergize with alcohol at all. Now here's the interesting one. Chase tree berries. You see these little, little, they're little round uh, gray uh, little berries here? You formerly call monk's pepper. It's been popular in Europe since the Greek or Roman times uh, for women's complaints, for dysmenorrhea and, and difficult menstruation. And the extracts are becoming more popular over here in the States for uh, young women to use for painful menstruation or irregular menstruation. So, And, and would you put these little berries in hot water and brew this up as a tea? Uh, I'm not of the gender that finds this uh, very compelling for me personally, but there's other herbs here probably that I as a man approaching 50 would probably want to take, like saw palmetto berries. That's useful in prostate-related problems? That's right. Uh, the prost especially the, uh, the extract of saw palmetto has been found in, uh, in several clinical studies to actually increase the flow of urine, reduce uh, the amount of retained urine, and reduce the, the amount of nighttime urination or the interruption of sleep that characterizes uh, benign prostatic hyperplasia, the uh, non-cancerous swelling of the prostate gland that cuts off the urethra. A problem very common in middle-aged men. Of course, the number one pharmaceutical drug, Proscar, which is being promoted for this, costs about two and a half dollars a day for a tablet. Uh, two capsules of saw palmetto extract, the standardized extract, costs around 70 to 86 cents a day, one-third or so of the cost. Let's see that. if we can find that on the shelf here. No. Okay, then, on the upper shelf, these, the upper shelf. these, these are dark brown berries. Now these berries are the size of, look like a, a big olive pit, right? They look like the size of an olive pit. They're oblong, like an olive pit. And I'm going to go ahead and eat one, and I'll be glad to pay for it. It's the fruit of a dwarf palm tree called the saw palmetto. And it actually has a kind of a waxy, salty taste, not real tasty from, from conventional standards. But a little seed inside. I'm eating it, but it's not bad. Of course, herbalists are known to be kind of people that eat all kinds of stuff with bitter, acrid, pungent taste. So herbalists... Medicine doesn't have to taste good. No, no, it's bad. The, the, worse, the worse it tastes, the better it is for you, right? Here's an herb called uh, feverfew. This is a jar of organic feverfew. Right. Now, in England, there was three clinical studies published showing that the use of feverfew leaf actually reduced the severity and duration of migraine headaches and actually can be useful in preventing migraines. In Canada, the government has approved an over-the-counter drug product made of feverfew leaf for migraine headache prophylaxis or prevention. Here's a jar of goda-cola root. What is that? Well, it says goda-cola root, but you'll notice that the look at this thing, this is not the root at all. This is mislabeled. This is obviously the leaf. So we already have a mislabeled product here, unfortunately. And, you know, it, it's fairly benign, but it's just one of those situations where somebody was just not being very careful. Uh, this is an herb that has been used in uh, Ayurvedic medicine for increasing mental concentration 
and uh, memory according to traditional medicine. And in Europe, Gota-Cola extracts are used in some areas for their external uses as well because it helps promote wound healing. So there's a whole line of products, uh, I think in France, that is made from the extract of this leaf and it's useful for skin conditions, increasing skin elasticity, uh, wound healing, etc. Hawthorne? Hawthorne, there's a good one. Here's a great one, Hawthorne. Now Hawthorne is the, this is the berry. Now in German, in Germany and France they use the Hawthorne berry, the leaf and the flower contains flavonoids and it's a superior heart tonic. It's quite safe, there's no adverse reactions, no, no bad side effects, and it's eaten like a food because Hawthorne, in England, they make Hawthorne berry jams and jellies. So it's almost quite safe as a food, tasty, and uh, it's useful for heart uh, arrhythmias, uh, bradycardia, or ho slow heartbeat. Also can be useful for um, uh, cardiac insufficiency uh, that does not yet require digitalis therapy in Germany. They use it with or without digitalis, and they also use it for uh, angina pectoris, or the pressure in the, in, in the chest. It's a, a function of a, a heart condition. So this is a very popular herbal remedy. It's quite safe. Many loose herbs, especially flowers and leaves, deteriorate when stored in jars or even tea bags and can quickly lose their potency. That's why herbalists prefer either the fresh plant or extracts of the plant, which are then preserved in such substances as alcohol or vegetable glycerin. The techniques used to select plants and to withdraw medicine from them have been refined to an art by Hyde's Herbal Clinic in the college town of Leicester, England. John Hyde is a third-generation medical herbalist. My father, who was here for 60 years before me, he taught us as children what herbs to pick and we used to go down to the canal banks and we used to take the old car down on a Saturday afternoon and uh, we had a large hessian sack each, my brother, my sister and I. We'd be each given a particular species of plant to, uh, to collect and we'd have to take the sack back to father every sort of 20 minutes to get him to vet it to make sure we'd not pick the wrong things and uh, earned a little bit of extra pocket money that way. So I started herbalism, you know, as a little boy, picking plants. And what kinds of plants or flowers would you uh, collect from the countryside? Well, for example, uh, dandelion, the humble dandelion, marvellous for urinary problems. Uh, it's an anti-inflammatory. Daisies, all the daisy family, um, matricaria, camomellum, um, the nettle. Stinging nettles, urtica dioica, a blood purifier that has quite a remarkable effect on, um, on eczema and on psoriasis. John Hyde's family roots in herbal medicine date back to the turn of the 20th century, when his grandparents operated a small post office as part of their general store on a side street of Leicester. Customers could buy small packets of dried herbs. People would come in and ask my grandfather, if he had something for this or for that or for the other, sore throat, tummy ache, arthritis, headache, and so on. So he thought to himself, I'd better do some learning so that I give people the right sort of advice. And so he started making tinctures and so on until he'd got a mini pharmacy going with herbal substances in it. And so people were now coming to the post office for herbal treatment and not for stamps or postal orders or anything else. That went out of the window virtually. 
and he got so many patients that he had to move. And he started in 1908 Hyde's Clinic. The old postmaster's son, Frederick Fletcher Hyde, pursued a scientific understanding of herbal medicine and graduated with honors in botany from London University. He thus enlarged the family herbal practice as John Hyde recalled from his own childhood. When we opened the front door, there would be dozens of patients queued outside, all down our path, down the wall across the front of the building and down in front of the shops and down the London Road, two and three deep. So we were brought up in that whole milieu of herbal medicine. We used to make all our own ointments. We used to get purified beeswax and boil leaves and they'd be boiling in big saucepans on the back of the stove for probably 48 hours. This is in the kitchen, in our home, and this smell of sort of burnt leaves and herbal aromas would pervade. You were trying to do your homework, coughing and spluttering. And uh, it, yes, so you could say I'm a dyed-in-the-wool herbalist in more ways than one. Today, John Hyde and co-workers carry on the tradition of preparing herbal remedies for patients with all manner of ailments. We'll just go through the door here and upstairs and show you something interesting, hopefully. Uh, in the realms that many patients don't get to see... Right, here we are. I think you probably notice a certain smell, a lovely aroma in the air. As if we had just walked into a beautiful springtime garden. Right. And that is the combined aroma of the volatile oils of some 500 herbs, which we keep um, in this stock room. Now, this is the Grenelicals, um, named after the famous Greek physician Galen. You're quite right, that's the chap, and his name has been immortalised on our door. Uh, we're looking here at um, a number of shelves, and stacked on them, right up to the ceiling, are numerous large glass bottles containing about five litres per bottle of brown and light brown and greenish and yellow and various coloured liquids and the liquids are the, uh, the actual alcohols and waters in which the herbs are being soaked in the first stage of preparing a tincture, which is the liquid substance produced from the original plant or herb. And so um, I'll just take one of these off the shelf here. And just undo the lid. And in there, my word, that's wonderful. I think it, you might even think that was, um, what? Uh, it smells a bit like wine. Jack Daniels? Well, here we are. Populus Gilead. A wonderful plant for soothing the membranes of the throat. I took that down just by uh, at random. And over here, a large press. Stainless steel press. The herb is poured into this press. And there we have all the soaked herb in the bottom of the press. 
and then it's a matter of placing a pressure plate on that hermit. Here we go. And that is then placed under the press and then pressure is applied and we'll leave that there for two or three hours for that huge tonnage to exert on the herb and so express absolutely every ounce of moisture from the woody pulpy substance that's been soaked. And all the goodness, all the medicinal action is now trapped in that life-giving liquid, the herbal tincture, which is what I use to prescribe. All right, let us now head back downstairs. We made our way to the dispensary, which was lined with botanical tablets, ointments, creams, pastes, and suppositories, many containing a combination of medicinal herbs. The rows and rows of these preparations suggest that the tradition of Hyde's herbal clinic remains alive and well nearly a century after it was founded. Patients who prefer this type of natural health care apparently believe it meets their standards. But is plant-based medicine truly safe? Less than 2% of the patients I treat have side effects to the botanical medicines I give them. Naturopathic physician Mary Bove in Brattleboro, Vermont. Every individual is different, and how the individual would process the plant is going to be different, and that there are different tolerances within that. But generally, for the dose that's prescribed, which is a moderate, you know, medium-sized dose, you find few side effects from that. But this reported low level of side effects from herbs is a hard pill to swallow for physician Robert Temple, who helps to evaluate drugs for the U.S. government's Food and Drug Administration, or FDA. In typical clinical studies of uh, drugs, conventional drugs, uh, people are on the lookout for any adverse effect. And it's common to see adverse effects occurring in 25-50% of people not only on the medicine but on placebo. So it's inconceivable to me that uh, plant-derived materials aren't associated with the same kinds of rashes that uh, other, other materials are because even drugs that relatively rarely cause a rash cause a rash sometimes. Well, nobody is saying that herbs don't have side effects. This would be a very ignorant and stupid thing to say. But undoubtedly, properly prescribed and properly prepared, herbal medicine generally has a far, far higher safety threshold than drugs do. And quite often, there are no known side effects at all. Herbal historian Barbara Griggs believes that today's medical establishment is biased in favor of pharmaceutical drugs and has not carefully considered the scientific evidence for plant-based medicine. She points out that pharmaceuticals often consist of a single highly concentrated chemical. It's potent and can produce potent side effects. By contrast, many botanical medicines are milder in their effects. Nature dilutes the medicinal agents in a plant with inactive materials like cellulose and chlorophyll. And so the side effects of herbs, if any, are also likely to be more gentle. Physician and botanist Andrew Weil. I have relied greatly on botanical preparations 
in for the past uh, 13, 14, 15 years of my own practice. For every prescription I write for a pharmaceutical drug, I probably give out 40 or 50 recommendations for botanicals. In those years that I've been doing that, I have never seen a single serious adverse reaction to any plant preparation I've given a patient. I have seen one or two rashes, I've seen one or two cases of stomach upsets, and I've told people to discontinue the, the preparations. But that is insignificant compared to what you see with pharmaceutical preparations. And I think this is also the experience of most people I know who use herbal preparations. And you First of all, you want to find out about what are the plants that are toxic, that might be toxic. Uh, and then if you avoid those and are careful about them uh, and give plants for which there's good data on efficacy and safety, I think the risks are very low. They're not zero, but they're very low. And the important question is what are they relative to the use of pharmaceutical drugs? So we're looking at the question of relative safety, and I think there's, there's no contest there. I think it's ironic that people are so concerned with the potential dangers of herbs, which have been used for thousands of years, when there are so many things that we can buy over the counter that are potentially dangerous. Physician Howard Posner in Philadelphia. The average herb, I'd say, would have a less than a one in a hundred chance of even a mild side effect that would disturb the patient. Whereas with the average over-the-counter drug, you're, you're dealing with, you know, probably a 25 to 35 percent chance of a side effect that will disturb the patient to the point of wondering why is this happening, where is it coming from, and what can I do to stop it? And the risk of adverse reactions from some prescription medicines is even higher, according to Dr. Andrew Weil. Not only is it high, but the kinds of effects are severe. They include death, for example, and permanent disability. You tend not to see that with herbal medicine. All I can say is that I think any dedicated patient in conventional medicine is sooner or later going to experience an adverse drug reaction. I am very upset at the widespread prescribing of steroids, uh, often for trivial conditions. Uh, these are very powerful hormones that have uh, widespread toxic effects, and people are sometimes maintained on them for months and years for treatment of conditions like uh, rheumatoid arthritis, asthma. They become dependent on them. The toxicity of them is terrible. Just things like cortisone? Yeah, prednisone. Sure. The drugs that are commonly used to treat high blood pressure uh, have very significant toxic effects. Um, you know, but I think almost any major category you pick of drugs that are used by conventional doctors, the risks of toxicity are very significant. And the kinds of effects include some that are very, very bad. The frequency of adverse reactions by patients who take prescription drugs is startling. Just among older Americans, some 10 million cases of negative drug reactions occur each year, according to the Public Citizen Health Research Group affiliated with Ralph Nader. And one report calculated that over 600,000 of these cases resulted in hospitalizing the patient. Thus, many health consumers are prompted to explore alternatives, like herbal medicine, where side effects are widely regarded as rare. To say that side effects are rare just can't I just don't believe that's going to turn out to be true when you study them carefully. Dr. Robert Temple of the FDA. It may be that severe side effects are rare, but even that, you know, we've, we've, we've encountered serious liver injury from 
uh, a number of plants that from from chaparral and things like that that were used there they're herbals but they wipe out your liver sometimes chaparral also known as creosote is a strong smelling desert bush growing in the southwestern united states and mexico long used medicinally by native americans it has been widely taken for ailments ranging from rheumatism to cancer in the early 1990s to the surprise of many experts Chaparral poisoning was reported in a handful of cases. To be on the safe side, the herb industry then voluntarily withdrew the product. But Chaparral poses an enigma for Professor Varro Tyler, the herbal specialist at Purdue. Chaparral is a very difficult uh, matter uh, to uh, decide upon because uh, Chaparral has been sold by the ton in this country for many, many years. And... uh, Uh, It was uh, recently shown to have caused uh, uh, four cases, I believe, one of them very serious, of liver damage, uh, jaundice. And uh, the one case was so serious that it required a liver transplant. Uh, These were attributed to chaparral. But what about all of those thousands of other persons who had been taking these tons of chaparral for some years and who had not demonstrated these reactions? Is it possible that particular batch was adulterated in some way? It certainly could have been. But in the interim, I would not recommend that consumers purchase it until that matter is straightened out. From his position as former dean at the Purdue School of Pharmacy and Pharmacal Sciences, Dr. Tyler prefers to err on the conservative side. His book, Herbs of Choice, identifies some 80 botanical medicines that do satisfy him as generally safe and effective. But he finds that certain other plants should not be swallowed as medicine. Things like comfrey, coltsfoot, sassafras, certain kinds of calamus, all of those things are on the shelves today in some of the shops that sell herbal products, and uh, they they are not safe for human internal consumption. I think probably the one that I'm most cautious about is comfrey. Physician Andrew Weil. I can't see any reason why people would want to take comfrey internally. Uh, I use it externally as a poultice. Uh, It's very useful for stubborn kinds of wounds that won't heal, like uh, the bites of brown recluse spiders and uh, diabetic ulcers and bed sores. It's a useful treatment in that way. But I can't see any reason why people should take it internally, and I see still comfrey products in health food stores. Because the plant kingdom is so vast, featuring a spectrum from powerful medicines to lethal poisons, it's impossible to declare all herbs as entirely harmless or harmful. But can we see the herbal forest for the trees? The consensus of most health experts we spoke with is that authentic herbal medicines, when taken according to the recommended dose, generally are as safe as, if not safer than, pharmaceutical drugs. In the event an herbal product is determined to be actually dangerous, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration may yank it from the shelves. It generally has not done so with herbs, according to FDA physician Robert Temple. We get relatively few reports from over-the-counter drugs or over-the-counter herbs because there's there's no requirement for anybody to report them. Also, the impression, you ha- this may be changing, but the impression one, we, one has is that uh, physicians who are the primary reporters to these systems uh, don't take a very good uh, history of, uh, of alternative medicine uh, treatment, so they may well not know. If the people who have the reactions are not in contact with the medical system or if the medical system 
doesn't know enough to ask about them, you could miss a lot. Now, do I think there's some scourge in the community that's killing many hundreds of thousands of people? No, of course I don't. It's unlikely that anything like that is going on. Also, however, if you look at the world literature as far as the, the use of herbal medicines on the increase and the toxicology of herbs and the adverse reaction reports at various countries, poison control centers and hospital emergency rooms and their uh, adverse reaction reporting systems, you find that the incidence of adverse reactions to properly prepared legitimate commercial herbal medicines and phytomedicines simply is very, very low, especially like, for instance, in the Western Europe, where these things are properly regulated and where they have excellent adverse reaction reporting systems. There simply is a very low, less than 1% uh, adverse reactions. A finding by the UN's World Health Organization does show that worldwide, herbs account for less than 1% of reported negative reactions to medicine and that pharmaceutical drugs account for almost all negative reactions to medicine. But if you're drawn to herbal remedies because they're mild and time-tested, it's only wise first to learn about them in detail and to consult a qualified healthcare provider in case of a serious medical condition. In our next program, the truly fascinating history of herbal medicine, and experts will explain which botanical remedies are most scientifically proven today. I'm David Freudberg. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org, and at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.